This week we're going to talk about David, and we are going to root ourselves in this conversation in 2 Samuel, in the Hebrew Scriptures, 2 Samuel, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to go 2 Samuel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. So if you want to follow along, otherwise hear the word of Scripture this morning from 2 Samuel, chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your, fle- your bone and flesh. For some time while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, It is you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel, you who shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And skipping down to 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, And Ahio went in front of the cart, the ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for the continuation of the story that we've been delving into these past few weeks. We thank you for the many things we have to learn from the story of David. And this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to receive what you would have for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So last week... We talked about Ruth, this character Ruth, and and Jules told the story of Ruth. And it makes sense that in the narrative lectionary, the next character we would go to is David, because David is from the lineage of Ruth. And we got to talk about David, because David is an incredibly important person in our scriptures. A couple of Bible facts for you. David is mentioned more than anyone else in the Hebrew Scriptures. Anyone else at all. He's the name that's brought up most. And his personal narrative is longer than that of any other character in the Hebrew Scriptures. Longer than even Moses or Abraham, our great Hebrew fathers, right? Furthermore, David is is considered to be an archetype of Jesus, He's this messianic figure who was born in Bethlehem, hint, hint, right? And becomes the ruler and savior of God's kingdom. 
One scholar I read this past week said, you can't understand Jesus and the promise of the Messiah without David. He's that big a deal. And yet, this is why I'm glad we're deviating from the revised common lectionary. By the way, I'm going to get a little bit liturgy nerdy on you for just a moment. Bear with me. I'm glad we're deviating from this revised common lectionary, which is the set of scriptures that are assigned every week throughout the church year in a three-year cycle. Because that lectionary, all of the revised common lectionary, only talks about two stories in the life of David. And one of them isn't the one you probably think of when you think of David. This is why I'm glad we're going with the narrative lectionary. In the revised common lectionary, the only two stories that we have are the call of David when the prophet Samuel goes out to see the sons of Jesse in order to see who God has chosen to be the next king after the first king, Saul, didn't quite work out so well. And he chooses David, the last son, presented to him. Because God sees what's in the heart, not the outside. And the other story we have in the Revised Common Lectionary is the story of David and Bathsheba. Gail mentioned that, that David fell short from time to time. We're going to talk about that. But that story is the other one. Otherwise, we don't hear anything else about David. And there's so much more in the life of David. For example, what is the most famous story, probably, the story that we think of when we think of David? When you think Sunday school and you think stories of David, which story is it? David and Goliath. Of course, David and Goliath. Not in the Revised Common Lectionary. Meaning most of the time that story isn't preached. And the only way that we get to hear about that story is if we have a really good Sunday school teacher. And I remember being told that story complete with the flannel graph and the little paper thing stuck up there. And the, Anyway, there's so much more to the story of David. We have the story of David and Goliath. There's the story of David soothing King Saul by playing his, his lyre, his harp. There's all kinds of intrigue around David's relationship with King Saul. See, he's besties with Saul's son, Jonathan. And so at first, he's really beloved by King Saul. But then Saul becomes really jealous and angry with David. And David has to flee Saul because the king wants to kill him. And Saul chases him down, tracks him down to try to kill him. But David escapes. This is all laid out in the story. It's fantastic. And then David has not one but two opportunities to kill Saul, to get rid of this whole chase thing. And he doesn't do it. Both times he doesn't. He spares his life mercifully. And finally, Saul dies along with his son, Jonathan, who was, again, was David's best friend. And David mourns them, grieves them, and is made king of Judah. And that mostly brings us to our text today. But seriously, there's a lot more intrigue and action and brilliant narrative. This is Game of Thrones level stuff I'm talking about here, folks. I really suggest that you go back and read the story of David. I encourage you to read the story of David in the Bible. At this point in the story that we read about this morning, as it says, David has already been anointed king over Judah, which is to the south of Israel. Remember that Judah and, and Israel were split into two kingdoms at this point, though they're both populated by God's people. So here in our text for today, David makes a covenant between Judah and Israel, is anointed 
king over all of it. And in doing so, basically unifies the kingdom under his leadership, which is huge, huge step. Then at the beginning of chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, we read that David has the Ark of the Covenant, the symbolic ornate chest that contained the word of God on the stone tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain. The place, this was considered to be the place where God's essence and power were centered, according to their tradition. David brings it to Jerusalem so that the presence of God can be at the very center of this entire kingdom. Everything is rooted in the presence of God. So there's just a brief Cliff Notes version, a brief overview of David's life up to this point. So much more than just these two stories in the lectionary, yes. David's story is pretty awesome. And I want to talk about David for the rest of our time this morning in terms of that awesomeness. Specifically, I want to talk about the awesomeness of David, the not-so-awesomeness of David, and ultimately what that all says about the awesomeness of God. So here we go. First, let's talk about the awesomeness of David, a person who the scriptures call a man after God's own heart. And that starts with his anointing by Saul all those years, by, by Samuel all those years ago. Clearly, there's something special about this guy. Because after all of the other sons of Jesse are brought out to Samuel as possibly the one to be anointed king, God sends Samuel and says, go to Jesse. He's got all these sons. I'm going to tell you which one I'm going to have you anoint to be the king of Israel. Jesse brings out the seven oldest, one by one. And Samuel's like, not it, not it, nope, not it. Gets to the end and says, is that all? And Jesse says, well, I mean, there's David. I mean, he's out taking care of the sheep right now. And sure enough, Samuel says, bring him to me. He's the one. He's the one. Because after all, human beings see only what is visible with the eyes. Well, God sees what's in the heart, is what the scriptures tell us. There's something about David that makes him special, despite his appearances. And let's not just breeze past that famous story from Sunday school that we mentioned earlier. David, who is just a boy at the time, defies the taunting and rejection of his older brothers when he shows up at the battlefield to bring him some supplies, some food. And he tells the king, goes to the king and says, he, this little shepherd boy, will defeat the mighty Goliath, this nine foot tall behemoth who for 40 days had been walking out and taunting and ridiculing and saying, bring me someone who can possibly defeat me. And all of the mightiest warriors of Israel were like, uh, no. I don't think so. Have you taken a look at this guy? Uh Uh-uh, not it. But David, David convinces Saul to let him take on Goliath, who he does indeed kill with his little slingshot and one of the five smooth stones that he has in his pouch. And he convinces him to give him a shot at taking down Goliath by telling him that God would empower him and protect him. You see, once again, 
David is rooted and centered in the strength that comes from God. There are more feats that we can credit David with that are pretty awesome. But to me, David's awesomeness is really about his trust of and passion for God. David is truly a passionate person altogether. And sometimes that passion gets him in trouble. See the Bathsheba incident. But when directed toward God, this passion is absolutely astounding. We read in the second part of our text that when the Ark of the Covenant was on its way to Jerusalem, David and his entire household celebrated with all their strength, with all kinds of noise and music and revelry. In other words, they worshipped party style, big time. Later, when the Ark of the Covenant actually enters the city, we read that David danced and jumped and celebrated so intensely, without much clothing on, by the way, that Saul's daughter lost respect for him and challenged him about it. said, what are you doing? Nobody's going to take you seriously. You're acting like an idiot. And I love David's response says, I was celebrating before the Lord who chose me over your father and his entire family. <laughs> Sick burn. And who appointed me leader over the Lord's people over Israel. And I will celebrate before the Lord again. I may humiliate myself even more. I love that passion. David's passion for and trust in God is fully on display in the Psalms attributed to him. But alongside that passion and that adoration and love for God, we also see David's vulnerability. He unabashedly declares his love for God, his desire for God, his praise of God in one psalm. And then in the same psalm or the very next psalm, we'll confess his fear, his frustration, his sadness to God, with God. His love of God is passionate and faithful, but it isn't all sunshine and roses. It's not perfect. That makes sense because David is not perfect. So let's talk about the not so awesomeness of David. We don't have to look very far, we can just jump back just a couple of verses. See, though he is the architect of Jesus, the Messiah, we need to look back a couple of verses before we started this morning. This morning's text to get a glimpse at just how not like Jesus David can be. Second Samuel 4.12 reads, So David gave the order to his servants, and they killed Rechab and Banah, cutting off their hands and feet and hanging them up by the pool at Hebron. But they took Ishbosheth's head and buried it in the grave of Abner at Hebron. You, David. Like I said, there's some Game of Thrones type stuff in David's story. We talked a, a bit about the Bathsheba situation. Clearly, highly problematic, what with David having arranged for a guy to die in battle so he could take that guy's wife as his own. But there's more. There's this ugly story where his daughter Tamar by Makkah is raped 
by her half-brother, Amnon. David finds out about it, but he refuses to confront Amnon, refuses to bring Amnon to justice for his violation of Tamar, because Amnon's his firstborn, and he loves him, so he ignores it. And so Absalom, David's other son, murders Amnon to revenge the rape of Tamar. Did you catch that? David's eldest raped his half-sister. David overlooked it because Amnon was his, his boy, his number one boy. Unfortunately, there's more killing and destruction and rape and murder as a part of David's story. Like I said... Not so awesome. Which begs the question, how does this guy, how does this guy get lauded as a man after God's own heart and an archetype of the Messiah? And the answer is that David's awesomeness and his not so awesomeness are not ultimately what matters in his story. What matters is God's awesomeness. What is truly amazing about the God that we love and serve is that God chooses people with absolutely outstanding minds and hearts and skills and abilities who also have foibles and failures and wounds. I want to take a, a couple of minutes to tell you about my friend Mark. I told Mark this week that I was preaching on David and he got really excited. See, Mark, Mark is uh, one of the people that I work with at the Y East Shelter. He works for Do Good Multnomah. Last winter, Mark worked right here most nights being with the folks at the Winter Shelter. So he knows our church, he knows me, he knows Jules, and he is just, like, it's hard to describe the joy that you get to experience when you're around Mark, when you see him and meet him. And it's all couched in his love for the Lord. He's always talking about how blessed he is, how good God is, how he's excited to be doing the work that we're doing, and how it's actually God's work. Every time I go in to work at Y East, whether it's really early in the morning and I'm grumpy and I don't feel like being there, I'll see Mark and he comes up, big old hug. And he hugs me, and he's like this tall, right? So he reaches up and hugs me. He says, hey, brother, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. So good to see you. I'm so glad you work for Do Good Now, Pastor Andy. I'm going to be honest with you. At first, I thought it was a little much. <laughs> like, this can't be real. This guy's kind of maybe a little bit of a Jesus freak. And, and I don't know... Mm, like I said, it could be a little overwhelming. Then one day, uh, a couple weeks ago, Mark and I were taking out some recycling out to the recycle dumpster outside. While we were out there, he decided to have a smoke. And, uh, and I just started to talk to him. And he started to tell me his story. And he said, Andy, I was raised in an abusive household. My mother regularly told me that I was worth absolutely nothing. That I was garbage. I was hit every single day. There were some days that I didn't get to eat much because I was punished. Punished by not being able to eat. 
Anytime I tried to say something, I was told that I was stupid and that I should just shut up. And that stayed with me as I moved through my life and I went into the military and I was dishonorably discharged because I made a stupid decision that was violent. I almost took someone's life. And for that, I was placed in prison. And I was in prison for 12 years. While I was in prison, I became the leader of that prison's Aryan Brotherhood. I was a white supremacist. I was so filled with hate and anger. And though I'm not very big, nobody messed with me because they knew if they did, they were dead. They knew this. I was violent. I was angry. I would curse God at every minute that I could. And then one day, as so many of these prison stories go, and then one day, I heard clear as day, I can't explain it, I heard clear as day, Mark, stop. You are my beloved. I love you. Stop what you're doing. Your life is going to be about serving me. He said, I heard the voice of God clearly in a way I can't explain, but brother, tell me, I'm telling you the truth, I believe it with all my heart. The next day, he said, I got up and I, I went out of my, my cell and I announced to the entire block, I said, listen, I'm having prayer meeting tonight. Prayer meeting tonight at that table right down there, five o'clock, meet me there if you want to have a prayer meeting. And he said, the guys yelled up to him in his room and said, dude, did you get some dope? <laughs> But sure enough, he showed up at 5 o'clock. And a couple other guys came to meet with him. And start, he started just praying with them. And that prayer meeting grew and grew. To the point where the warden of the prison brought him in and said, Look, if you're recruiting for your Aryan Brotherhood, if you're recruiting for this group that you've been, he said, No, 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 no. That's not what this is about. These are people just seeking God and praying together. That's all that this is. And you will see that by the way that we live our lives and the rest of our time in this prison. When Mark was released, it was difficult for him to get a job. Convicted felon, had a record, dishonorably discharged from the military. Very hard for him to find work and he struggled. Then he found do good. And Chris, the executive director said, yeah, we're about grace and second chances. And they brought him on. And at this point, Mark is known as the best person on staff at that shelter and throughout the entire organization at moving people off of the streets and into permanent supportive housing. He's able to do that. He also lives in and runs a clean and sober recovery house for men. And the newest venture he's into is he's running the same kind of house for convicted sex offenders. His entire Work and life is about service and love. And it's all rooted in his desire to serve this God that he calls Papa. He calls Daddy. He loves, loves, loves people. Mark's not, he's not perfect. I like him because sometimes his language gets as salty as mine. And he'll be the first one to tell you that he has bad days. But he's, he's being used, he's being, uh, being moved by God to do incredible work. 
His life in some ways reflects so many of our biblical characters whose lives have been redeemed. I think he was excited about the story of David because he knows the not-so-awesomeness of David, but he also knows how God used David. You see, that's the good news we find in the story of David. David is awesome, truly a man after God's own heart, we're told. He was not so awesome in a lot of ways. Thankfully, that didn't disqualify him from being loved by and from serving God. And oftentimes, friends, right in the middle of his mess, right in the middle of his mess, not after he'd gotten everything cleaned up, not after everything was right and he was on the straight and narrow and he wasn't doing anything wrong. No, God was using him in the middle of his mess. And God does the same with us. That's the good news. Church, you may have already connected the dots by now, but if not, let me do so for you. This same truth that applies to David, that applies to my friend Mark, it also applies to you, to all of us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are worthy of God's loving presence with you and within you right now? Just as you are right now. Do you believe that? I want to invite you in the next few moments that we're going to take in some silent meditation to allow the Holy Spirit, to invite the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God within you and You all have the presence of God within you. I want to invite you to invite that presence to remind you of that truth. To renew that belief in you. And then to consider how God might be calling you to serve, to lead, to love others. As a response to that belief in God's awesomeness. Let's take a few moments. I invite you to bow your heads if you wish and close your eyes. Breathe deep the presence of God in this space and within you. And I'll bring us back with some prayer before we share the peace of Christ.
Lord Jesus, I'm reminded of the story in Scripture when the man was desperate for your help, for your healing, and came to you and you asked about his faith. And he said, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Loving God, so often belief and unbelief sit side by side and are sometimes intertwined together. And I pray that this morning you would help us in our unbelief. For so often I am convinced that we think we're unworthy. That we think that the things that we've done, that our shortcomings, that our not-so-awesomeness mean that we're not fit. Not fit for, for your love, for your grace, for your community. Remind us that, that that's garbage. That's not true. That you love and you forgive and you show mercy and grace and that you hold us much like Gail talked about holding her chicken. And you receive us and then you call us to do your work in this world, to be your very presence in this world, imperfect as we are. You invite us to that calling. And I pray that you would deepen that calling in each one of us as we continue to grow in our love for you and our love for others. Thank you for this reminder from the story of David this morning. I pray all of this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to take a few moments now, as we do every week, to greet one another with the peace of Christ, this ancient greeting where we say to one another, peace be with you and also with you. Let's take a few moments to greet one another, and I will call you back. We can all sing, Spirit of the Living God. Greet one another with the peace of Christ.